Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago is your audio guide through the landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. Hello, my name is Devin Ackman, and I am the director of the Arab American National Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. Prior to our museum's creation, there wasn't one singular museum telling the Arab American story. The few that were doing so, frankly, um, were not necessarily getting the story right. And given the fact that we were having complications in a post-9-11 environment, it was really critical that we construct an institution that gives voice to, to our community. What most people don't, don't understand or maybe are not aware is that Southeast Michigan has the highest concentration of people that come from uh, the Arab world within the United States. So we estimate there's approximately a half million people of Arab heritage here in Southeast Michigan. And Dearborn, Michigan tends to be the epicenter for that community. So much of the cultural, religious, social, and commercial enterprises are, are located here. So in many ways, Dearborn has come to signify that location on the national level, and it seems like the most appropriate and prudent place for a museum. And the reason for that, I'm sure it, it snowballed, but what are kind of the, the initial factors for the, the sure. reason why that is the epicenter? So Detroit was really the Silicon Valley of its time in the early 20th century. So with the Great Migration and folks coming from the South and immigrants um, from around the world really coming uh, to, to, to Detroit for, at that time, the burgeoning auto industry. And Arab Americans were, were part of that immigration and then internal migration. In fact, my family uh, came here approximately 100 years ago and, and settled in Detroit for the auto industry. With time, that that became more of a regional enterprise and not just something that was centered in, in the city of Detroit. So Henry Ford built the Rouge plant here in Dearborn, which was really the, the industrial complex of its time. And with that, you began to see the Arab American community migrating here to Dearborn, like many others. Fast forward into the 70s when we began to see more displacement uh, in the Arab world and the changing immigration laws here in the U.S., Dearborn really became a center for people to come from the Arab world and to be met with those institutions that existed at the time to help them to get acclimatized. So in a lot of ways, Dearborn has continued to be that pull factor with immigration and migration for folks from the Arab world. And we continue to see that uh, today with more increased displacement. There's, I could speak to the Lebanese community, for example. There are many Lebanese in, in, in places like Australia, in places like Brazil, in places in Latin America, including Mexico, and then a very vibrant North American community here in Canada and the U.S. Um, so, you know, there's, there's various estimates that exist, but many people say there's four or five million people in Lebanon, but almost three times that globally. So, and that's just looking at the Lebanese experience. You have the Palestinian, the Syrian, the Iraqi, the Yemeni, on and on and on. So it very much in a lot of ways is, is in fact a diaspora, but there is, it's not a monolithic group as, as you might imagine. So there's great complexity and diversity within that. So you have families like mine that came 100 years ago, but you're, you're seeing um, more recent immigrants and refugees coming today who have very different experiences and reasons for coming to this nation, um, might be religiously diverse. Um, so it's, it's incredibly complex. So yes, in fact, 
We are not a monolithic group, and it can be both challenging and rewarding trying to use culture, arts and culture, as a mechanism to build greater community and to share the complexities of those stories with the wider public. Our founding director, Dr. Anand Amari, had worked for six or seven years really conceiving this project. And in doing so, she traveled the U.S., engaged with Arab American communities and and many metropolitan regions. And and the the fundamental question is, would you support a museum of of this type? And what would you like to see in in a museum, in an Arab American museum, especially given there was no other museum of its kind to kind of compare or contrast to? So in many ways, this was truly a community-based effort in conceiving an institution. And to this day, we really try to respect and honor that approach in in how we carry out our day-to-day operations today, whether that's building new exhibitions or programming or anything else for that matter. How are we responsive to the community and how are we continuing to remain relevant and connected with those communities we serve? The museum is immensely unique, not just in the way we approach our work and trying to remain embedded and relevant with the community, but in terms of the offering. So we have four permanent exhibitions, Coming to America, Living in America, Making an Impact, and Contributions of the Arab World. And then we have two temporary exhibition galleries. And within those spaces, we've had everything from contemporary art. In fact, we have a current show right now of contemporary art from Saudi Arabia. Um, But it's really run the gamut. We've had an exhibition called Patriots and Peacemakers that looked at Arab American service to our nation actually since the founding of the U.S. Um, We've had other exhibitions that look at material culture, others that are more sociological. Um, But it's really trying to encompass so many different facets of our community's history. But where things get really diverse are are both in our programming and and some of those other offerings in, in, in terms of that. So we have a separate facility next to the museum called the Annex the annex is truly a community space. So in addition to us hosting conferences and concerts and things of that nature, we also provide space for our community to incubate and create work. We have an orchestra, an Arab orchestra that rehearses in there after hours. We have community members who do Arabic language lessons in there. We have lots of non-Arab community groups who use the space. Um, There's actually organizing activities that take place. So it's really become a third space in a lot of ways to fill a critical niche Uh, within our community. So in many ways, we're trying to be responsive and we conceive these projects and ideas by a feedback from our community, which is really uh, a very fun and enabling and empowering way, both for the museum and the community to conceive what a museum could be. What is the mechanism by which you you gather the feedback from the community? So we have many different ways in which we solicit community feedback. There there are the more traditional ways of, of basic evaluation and interfacing that many, many museums do. We have a national advisory board that is comprised of 40 leading figures from around the nation. Um, many, many people have a significant role in their, in their communities. So in a lot of ways, these, communi- these, these leaders inform us of things that are happening in their community. But then we also have friends in the museum committees. So we have one in Detroit, we have one in Houston, one in Los Angeles, one in New York, one in Washington, D.C., and they really vary in size. I think the smallest is 15, the largest is 40. So we have these community groups that basically say these are the things happening in our community. These are the ways in which the museum can be responsive. But even on a, on, a, on, a, on a more micro level, we have many ad hoc community advisory groups within the museum. The museum ser- is also serving the community by being a, a first point of contact to somebody who isn't familiar with the community. I am sure you get a lot of visitors from 
the Arab American community, but you also get visitors who are not part of that community. So kind of how do you think about that split from, from the level that you're at? We do our best to try to track that by program type. So for example, we host a Arab film festival annually, and that film festival is actually part of a much larger regional film festival that tracks over 30,000 people. And what we found through our, our, our regional, our annual film festival is that over you know 50 to 60% of our audience is, is non-Arab. They don't have access to contemporary cinema coming out of the Arab world. And given what's happening in the world, they're trying to make sense through film. Whereas many in the Arab American community have multiple satellite feeds and access to that content back home. So maybe the film stuff isn't as interesting. Um, whereas other things that we do are very intriguing to the Arab American community. So we just had BuzzFeed here over the weekend with their new podcast, See Something, Say Something, which was very much a dialogue with community. So um, the Arab American community in particular felt really compelled to come and to tell their story, especially on such a major media platform. Uh, we do culinary walking tours and we design things that embed people into our local community. So, you know, for a lot of Arab Americans, they're used to going to the groceries and the bakeries and things of that nature. And a, and a culinary walking tour really doesn't speak to them. Whereas for a lot of other people, the ability to have those guided tours, but to have those immersive experiences in the community is really unique. So we're able to pinpoint by program type and to really solicit the feedback channels through those. Um, there's nothing that's 100% non-Arab and 100% Arab, but there are definitely things that, that play well to a more mainstream audience. And, and that's really important for us. So that goes into kind of our philosophical work. Um, you know, it's really important that we provide space and platforms and, and leverage tools to enable our community to really elevate and to feel compelled to tell their story from their own perspective. But it's equally important for us to share stories. Um, we always say that if we're just telling our story and we're not receptive to other stories, we're really not doing our job, you know, because our story is an American story. Um, so it's really critical that, we've, that we're seeing this, this 180 periphery and who our audiences are and really working with them. When you're talking to people from like you from other museums, what are they looking? What are they asking you about, and what are you, <laughs> what are you asking them about? It's really been an interesting dialogue within the museum community over the last five years. So for 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 a period there, it was it was very much it felt like a cohort of institutions around the country who were very like minded who existed in this in the sphere. So I think of our peers at the Japanese American National Museum, the Wing Luke institutions like that. We've many ways have kind of operated in a very similar fashion. So we have these these relationships. And it seemed to me as though institutions maybe from outside of that, that kind of process or like-minded um, cohort, so to speak, would come to us back then and, and were very interested in maybe how we engage with community. So maybe they were art museums or, or, or you name it. There was very much this question of how do you how do you engage community? Because for a period there, that was really, you know, how do we get more community focused? What we've seen really in the last couple of years, though, is, is a paradigm shift, especially as institutions are thinking more critically about equity and justice and things of that, that nature. So for us, in many ways, our, our formation was really rooted in that. And those things have guided us from day one. And we find ourselves even checking ourselves constantly on our own representation of our own communities. So it became very apparent, for example, to us that um, there had been a much changing much much changes in, our, in the demographics of our community in the post 9/11. We're seeing more North Africans, more Sudanese folks like that, but they weren't they weren't represented well enough in our institution. So we've been doing a lot of work through that lens, and 
so people often come to us and they have questions these days more about um, that type of thinking as opposed to community engagement. So we're seeing that shift, but I think it's a very healthy shift uh, as an industry as we're thinking more critically about that. This has been Museum Archipelago. Show notes and more information about this episode can be found at museumarchipelago.com or on Twitter at museum underscore go. If you like the show, please consider leaving a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us, and it'll help new listeners find the show. Until next time.